Have you ever seen one of those reality TV shows and thought, I could totally do this? Like, I could, I mean, maybe not win, okay, but you could do it. Like, you could be there, do it, I don't know, Survivor, Top Chef, The Voice. I don't know, is there, I don't, is there one that's like a potato chip eating? I don't know, I could, I could win that one, I probably. When I see those shows, I do not have that reaction. I don't think I could do this, in part because I think, not because you think like, yeah, Kurt couldn't go on the island for that long without food or whatever. That's not the thing. It's because I couldn't handle that moment when they get everybody together and they like vote somebody off. That part is so stressful. They bring everybody together and they go, you know what, we're, we're going to send, and I think that I wouldn't be able to handle it even if I didn't get voted off. I would want to be voted off first so it could be over with. And I can be done and get voted off. And so it's just too much for me to think about that. It causes me anxiety even to think about doing that. And some of us have been in relationships, maybe a love of interest, or maybe even in your family that you were born into, where you felt like at any moment you could be voted off the island. You felt like, hey, this, this is a, the kind of, it, it's funny and maybe in a family, but it, if you really think about, we maybe were on edge all the time. You're walking on eggshells. We felt like maybe we need to do all the good things so that people will love us. And a lot of us have even grown up in churches where there was kind of a tradition where we felt like the primary motivator for us was fear. That we felt like that was the only thing really driving us instead of love of God or the scriptures themselves, we felt like we were driven by fear. Maybe you've seen, I don't know if you've seen these videos of people who uh, try to help stray dogs. I, I saw one this last week where there was somebody who, uh, they, I guess that they had been driving by this uh, shopping center for several weeks and had seen this dog. And at first, you know, you think, oh, it's just a lost dog. And after a while you go, no, 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 this dog is actually a stray. And so this person, I think, works at a vet clinic and they, so they had all the things. They had like the pole with the little rope that you can kind of grab them and all that kind of stuff. So this person had gone there and snuck up on the dog and catches the dog. And if you've seen this kind of thing, you know the dog flips out, right? Even trying to catch them before, the dog will run away because they don't want to be with them. But this person is motivated by good things. They want to help this animal out. Hey, I want to help you get rid of whatever pests you have on you. I want to give you good food. I want to clean you up. But the dog freaks out because the only interactions that they have had with people have been negative. They're, they're driven by fear. And they, they, they cower and they snap at them because that's, that's all that they think that they can do. But it really, it's a fear response. Even when they finally get them in the clinic, it usually takes a while for them to get them to trust them. And if you're watching a video like that with them, you think, no, come on. Like, this person's trying to help you. No, please, you know, let them do it. Because... That's the only experience that they have had. The scripture that we're going to look at today is going to tell us that God is bringing redemption and healing to our lives to such a degree that it will make it look like that person rescuing the stray puppy, that that's just the beginning. God is treating us like people who needed to be rescued, that we have lashed out at him in fear, but he wants to help us. He wants to welcome us. He wants to give us a new life. And this passage is in Luke 1. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to Luke 1. It's kind of later on. We're going to be looking at verse 67 and following. If, if you were here last week, 
you uh, know that we uh, have heard, you heard about how Mary, miraculously pregnant with Jesus, came to visit her relative Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was also pregnant in a miraculous way because she had been childless for a really long time, and she kind of given up uh, the idea, up on the idea that she would have a child, and then the, the time came, and then she's going to give birth to a son. What we're going to see in our passage is it's actually the birth of their son, John, who's going to be John the Baptist. But this whole passage is Zechariah is going to uh, have the Holy Spirit come on him and he's going to say some amazing things. But it's not going to focus mostly on his son. It's going to focus on someone else. And we're going to see that Christ is going to be the one that he's focusing on because Christ is the king who comes to liberate us from fear. This is what we're going to see. Christ is the king who comes to liberate us from fear. I'm just going to give a little background before we read the thing. So Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah, they end up naming their son John. And he becomes eventually John the Baptist, whose ministry paves the way for Jesus. Uh, if you want to read the following part of the story, how it goes on, you can read in Luke 3, you see when they're grown up and they continue on. So the, the people who heard the circumstances about John's birth said about him, they said, what is this child going to be? This, there's something miraculous. Who's he going to be? That sets the stage then for John's father, Zechariah, and this poem that he's going to compose following his event. Hey, every parent is pretty proud. You've, you've probably met parents of prou uh, proud parents of ugly babies even, right? Uh, so proud. Uh, we all rejoice in our kids. We're glad for our kids. But what's happening is even more than just a parent being proud, this is going to be something more. Zechariah is convinced that the Lord was doing something big in his lifetime, in that moment. But his son is, while his son is going to be a key player, the main player, the main character is going to be somebody else in this whole drama that's going on. The main character is, is going to be this king who is coming. The king who is coming into the world. Coming to earth. And, and he is going to prepare the way to help us prepare room in our hearts for the king. So that's what his son's role was going to be. He had a part to play, but he's only setting the stage for the main character. And so his song is about that. So Zechariah's song actually goes from verses 68 to 79. It's 12 verses. About the last third of that are actually about his son, John. But the first two-thirds of that psalm are about this coming king. And his song underlines how these two men will actually have overlapping destinies. They're working together, but he's going to focus more on the first part, the king himself. And that's what we're going to look at today. So look in verse 67. Our verse says this. His father, John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us and to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness 
and righteousness before him all our days. We're going to consider today what it means for us to prepare room for this king, this king who comes to help us to serve him without fear. Let's pray. And, and as we pray, I, I would love to begin without me saying the words, but for you to say the words. Maybe you, in your heart, can turn to God and say, God, this is your word. I want you to teach me today. Father, I as well, even as I, I've reflected on this longer than others maybe in the room, but I, I pray that you will teach my heart today, even as I'm thinking through this and talking through it. May we all reflect on your word and have it transform our lives, that we can have a, a big vision of who you are as our king, see ourselves in connection to you, and understand what it means for us to live out our lives in this world in the light of those two realities. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, the Christmas carol, Joy to the World, has that phrase, let earth receive her king, and as part of preparing him room during these four Sundays of Advent, the, the time that we're preparing for Christmas, we're focusing on let earth receive her king. And for our scripture text, we're looking at four poetic outbursts by different people in the first chapters of Luke. And as I mentioned last week, we read Mary's song. And the key takeaway we had from that is that, that there, he, God is the king who is coming, who changes our story. He brings beauty from shattered pieces. Uh, he brings together all of the disparate narratives that are out there and brings them together in what God is doing he changes our big story. He changes our individual stories as he comes into our lives. And now we come to this guy, Zechariah. And the Holy Spirit comes on Zechariah. And, and the, it's actually the Holy Spirit speaking through him who clarifies what's coming up ahead. And when I think about clarifying what's up ahead, I think about my car at night, driving with a couple of headlights. So there's a couple of headlights that are here. We have two headlights that are going to clarify what's ahead. And the Holy Spirit's message coming through Zechariah is these two headlights of a car looking forward to light up the road in front of us. And it's just going to light up a couple of very simple things. It's lighting up some truth about who God is, and it's lighting up some truth about who we are. So let's look at the, these two headlights. The first headlight is it is about God. Because God has come. He says he has come to his people. Let's read that part again. He says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and has redeemed them. He has come to his people and has redeemed them. I love this. If you know, if you're kind of a Bible nerd, you might know some of these theological terms of the incarnation and the atonement. The incarnation is that God came and became a human being. He took on flesh, incar that's the carne of the incarnation. Right? He took on flesh. He, it says he has come to his people. God has actually come. He's here among us. And it says, and he redeemed them. Like God, this act of this king coming is filled with the purpose of him redeeming us. So we see this image of atonement that God is going to buy us back for himself. He's going to get us, redeem us, make us his people. So I love that. This is, this is Christmas and Easter together. He has come to his people, and he's redeemed them. They're right there together in Zechariah's words. We hear the Holy Spirit speaking through him. And he underlines, this is what God had planned from all along. This was God's plan. He was going to do this. You, 
might not be very familiar with some of these allusions that are made, but these, there are allusions made to two different Old Testament characters, two people in the, the first half of our Bible. It's Abraham and David. First of all, he talks about Abraham. And I'll give you a little background on this. God had promised this man named Abram, and he ends up renaming him Abraham. This is in Genesis 12, if you want to read the story. And God calls this guy Abram, and he says, I want you to go from where you are and go into the land where I'm promising you. And he says some specific promises to him. He says, I'm going to bless you, and you are going to be a blessing to others. And through you, all peoples of the world are going to be blessed. So Abraham is, this, is viewed as this kind of first character of faith. And throughout the Bible, we talk about him as kind of the first really faithful person because he believed God. And that ends up being a key, key illusion in this whole uh, biblical narrative. That it's one of the key moments in all of Scripture. It seems kind of small when you read it. It's only a, a short verse, but it ends up with implications throughout all of Scripture. That he's blessing him, so he will be a blessing. And that through him, all peoples of the world will be blessed. And in the New Testament, it actually tells us that if you are in Christ, you are a child of Abraham. You are a descendant of Abraham. All of us in Christ are actually descendants of Abraham. We are part of that blessing, the people of earth being blessed through him. And the New Testament makes it clear that that blessing comes through his descendant, Christ, Jesus, who is going to be born. And it, he says it's connected to this covenant idea he says, to show mercy, this is verse 72, uh, so salvation from our enemies in the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. Abraham, he swore these things to him. And now this king has come to us. and He's redeemed us. The second person that he mentions, it's, it's actually above that. It's this person of David who comes chronologically after Abraham. David was the king of Israel. He's the one who really was the good king. He had his own personal problems. He's not a perfect person, uh, but he was the king. And, and there, are, there are things said of him that, that there would be a descendant from David who would come and be the king forever. There were promises that said there would be somebody from, his line, from the line of David who would be a king greater than David, that David would even call this person Lord. He would be so great. It says about David, it says, he raised up, God raised up a horn, this is verse 69. He raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Uh, the, an idea of a horn in uh, biblical talk is, is power. This is God's power coming forward. There's a, this horn of power coming up, uh, and uh, I avoided saying that this is the horn on the car. It's just the, it's a horn of power. It's not the horn of the car, the headlights, okay. Uh, so this one who is coming is connected to Abraham. This one who is coming is connected to David. These are big promises of God in the Old Testament, and it's coming true. And we can't miss that this guy, Zechariah, he is a priest. He's a Jewish priest who serves the living God in the temple. And, and when the Holy Spirit comes on him, what does he say? He says, the king that we've been expecting is coming. It's connected to all the promises that God has made to our people in the past. And it's all coming true right now. My son is kind of a big deal, but all he's doing is he's preparing the way for the real king who's coming. And it 
is a big deal. Zechariah is singing this song. He says, let earth prepare him room. Prepare for the king. Receive this king. All right, there's a second headlight, and it's about us, what God gives to us. And he gives us some things we didn't necessarily know that we needed. Uh, so the second headlight, about us. The blessing that was given to Abraham was for all the peoples of the earth. And like I said, this, this king is coming now, and it's related to us who are his, his children now. And he's going to show us his mercy. So it said to show mercy to our ancestors and remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. And it says in verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. He's preparing for this king, this Messiah, who's going to liberate us from his en our enemies. I think the people in that time would have thought that it was going to be a liberation from their political enemies. I think they would have thought, hey, maybe we're going to be liberated from the Romans who have occupied our area. This is what we want. We want to have freedom and have our own place that's protected for us. But God knows that we have a much greater enemy. He knows that the enemy of humanity all along has been Satan, that our hearts have been turned away from God from the very beginning, that we've wanted to, to, we wanted something else. We wanted to be in rebellion against God. And now we are kind of powerless to do anything else. In fact, so in Colossians, there's a verse where uh, Paul says what Christ has done, and this is in Colossians 1, 13 to 14, says that Christ has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. So Christ actually pulled us out of the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So when God talks about, hey, I, I want to free you from your enemies, he's not just talking about political enemies. He's saying our hearts have been captive in, by the dominion of darkness. That we, we have kept God excluded from our life or kept him at arm's length. We haven't wanted him in our lives. And what had to happen was that we need to be rescued from one kingdom and brought into another one. We, just didn't, we didn't just need to add a little bit of God to our life. God isn't just a little bit of cinnamon spice for our life. We needed to be completely transformed. We needed to be taken out of one kingdom and brought into the other. It's a complete transformation. And he says, this is going to enable us to do something. He says, this is the part that's really been sticking with me all week. He says, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. Why? To enable us to serve him without fear. To enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So we now, we've been brought into this kingdom of the Son. Why? So we can serve him without fear anymore. I think we're, we are oftentimes afraid of a lot of things. We can be afraid of other people. I think we're liberated to, free, to care for other people. We're, I think if we aren't afraid anymore, if we're able to serve him without fear, we're not going to be afraid to, to follow God's lead wherever he is taking us, to do the things that he's calling us to do in Scripture. Maybe to go talk to that other person and, and not just tell them that you will pray for them, but maybe even to pray right there for them. Ask them if they can do that. That's, that's kind of scary to do that kind of stuff. To, to talk about God in our daily lives, 
to invite our neighbor to church. We're able to serve him without fear because I'm not afraid of other people anymore because I know who God is. And I think really it allows us to serve him without fear because we're not afraid of God anymore. We can have a picture of God that is kind of a scary one. God, God is big, but that same big God is inviting us to follow him. The world wants us to approach our environment like we are warriors of unassailable strength, like nothing can fight against us because we're so tough. We have such tough, we're such tough people we can get through any situation. Any, we have to have this warrior mentality to face our world. But that's not what God is asking of us. He says, you're supposed to be fearless because of our relationship. We know how close we are together. I have a great picture of my son. This is my son, Nathan. Uh, this was uh, around, uh, this is right around Halloween time when he was little. Look how little he is. He wasn't quite two even at this point. This is a picture of somebody who is jumping without fear. Leaping off there. Look at his arms spread wide. He knows, why, why can he do that? Because he knows I'm going to catch him. I did, actually. <laughs> that time, yeah. Um, uh, I have another one of my, old, of my other son, Samuel, doing something similar. Actually, his looks a little crazier. This is the feeling that we should have. We have no fear because we know our Father. We, we're not fearless because we're so amazing. He's not just jumping off foolishly to land on his, on, uh, on his hands and knees. He's jumping off because he knows his dad is there. And so what God is asking of us isn't just to be fearless in the world. It's to be fearless because of relationship, because we know our God. This is the kind of God that we have. And so this changes the way that we view all this stuff. It, it's not a formula for us to be saved and changed. Like, hey, if I just do this and this, then God's going to love me. We're sh this passage here is trying to communicate something about the character, the personality of God. This is what God is like. We are his children, and he's come to rescue us. We are his children. We can love him and serve him without fear. That is our God. The problem is it gets really easy to make a lot of rules. It's a lot easier to follow rules. We want to make our relationship with God based on certain rules. If I do these things, then I get this kind of blessing. And, that's, and, and the problem is, is that this truth about what our God is like has never actually penetrated our souls. I did tell the story to somebody this week. Uh, I, I don't know if you've seen The Godfather Part 3. There's some interesting gospel things to learn from The Godfather, I want to tell you. Uh, but there's a, a specific moment that's really powerful. Uh, the main character, Michael Corleone, the godfather, I don't know, the, the hero, the anti-hero, the bad guy, the kind of the main guy, uh, he is in that, and he, he ends up talking with a priest, actually a cardinal, I think he is. And this guy uh, fishes a rock out of a fountain. And he says, this rock has been in this fountain for a long time. And then he breaks open the rock, and he says, look, it's dry inside. Doesn't matter how long it's spent in that water, that water never penetrated the rock. And, and he ends up going to say, we can be in a culture that has the good news about God that never penetrates our hearts. We can sing a lot of things about this, about, 
a Christmas and God is a, and Jesus is our good gift and never allow it to penetrate our hearts. And I think it ends up showing itself that the symptom of that is that we're afraid of God. We end up having a view of God like Santa taking the list of good and bad and worried that his birdies are going to tell on us. Instead of seeing the way that Scripture talks about God, God is the one who comes and rescues us to save us so we can be without fear. So we don't have, we don't have fear anymore, not because we're, we, don't, we disregard people or because we don't care what God says. It's actually the opposite. We care so much about what God says that it allows us to power through things that otherwise would stop us allows us to be like the person capturing that stray dog because they actually know it's good for them. That, that is God pursuing us. And we see that the first disciples of Jesus, they were like that too. They, they, they preached fearlessly, not because they were driven by a whip, but because they knew the love of God and had transformed their life. And it says then that we get to serve holy and righteous before him all our days. That is our status before God. Not because of great things that we've done, but because of what God has done in Christ. The portrait of our Lord who comes to liberate us from fear, and, and every heart needs to prepare him room. I'm wondering if you would say that you've kind of run from God. Maybe even you're somebody who has been here every Sunday for a long time, and you still kind of run from God. We can live under God like he's that taskmaster, this tyrant who wants to drive us, but we have been invited to be adopted as children of God. Now, yeah, he's Lord. We don't just get to live our lives how we want to. We get to live in his house, and he wants to change us, but we, we maybe have been resisting God for a long time. Because we've been living like strays. Hey, in a way, when you're a stray, you get to live however you want. Stray dog might think, hey, if I live with a family, this is going to be kind of constraining for my life, right? But God makes it really clear. He says, if we've been living our lives running from him, we, if we've been living our lives kind of effectively giving God the finger, if you pardon the expression, we've been keeping God at arm's length, at some point, God is going to actually honor that. And he's going to say if you don't want me, okay. In that path, we go that way, we're going to be lost forever. But God is actually inviting us in. He says, you can be welcome. You can be with the living God. A God who is going to change your life. Who's not going to leave you the same. But it's not going to be driven by fear. This God is going to transform other areas of your life. The way that you work, the way that you interact in your other relationships. But I'm wondering if you have taken that step to say, yes, God, I will be with you. I want to be with you. I'm not very good at it, but I will be with you. What better time than at Christmas? God is here in this room with us. And I wonder if you in your heart right now would make room for him. Would you say to God, to talk to God in your heart, even as you're sitting there right now, to admit, God, hey, I've been keeping you at a distance. Maybe even in just in this area of my life, I didn't want you to touch this area of my life. Have you been keeping him at a distance? So in your heart, tell God that you want to be with him. 
Ask God to reveal himself to you. I want to receive you, my king. That's, that's really the first step of faith. First step of faith in Jesus. It's the first step toward life because this is a good king who loves us and has given himself for us. Well, I would like for us to have an action step this week. For all of us, action step I would like you to take this week. I would love for you to pray. I'd like for you to pray that you and those around you would serve God without fear. Let's let that, that verse kind of stick in your head all, all week. That you would serve God without fear. So if you're praying for the people around you, they'll serve God without fear. That means you're praying that they'll actually want to serve God, right? <laughs> but ask yourself the question, what, what would I do to serve God if I weren't afraid? What, what would that change? Because being able to serve God without fear has a lot of implications. It's going to change the way that you see your relationship with God. It's going to give you stability in your relationship with God that's supposed to transform the way that we have other relationships. That, that kind of stable, fearless relationship is supposed to be the model for what our marriages look like. That we're supposed to be accepted and welcomed and not have to earn your right to stay there. It's, it's what healthy families are supposed to look like. You don't have to earn your right to be there. It, it, our relationships and our families should mirror this kind of fearless welcome. And our church, too, is supposed to mirror that same kind of welcome. What does it mean for us to say, I will serve you without fear? I think it could really, really change the way that we do love one another. I hope it will. But it's all based on this king, this king who comes. The king who came to liberate us from fear. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, may, may you be magnified. Thank you for the, the words of this man, Zechariah. So, so long ago, it helps me to see who you are. It helps me to see who I am as well. Like you light up that path for me. May we today be people who see you as the king, a good king that wants us. We pray that you will help us to be people who will feel free to be with you, holy, righteous because of what you've done, not because of what we've done. That we can serve you without fear. We pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.